Before we get to today's podcast, I want to tell you about our sponsor, Space Wolf. Have you heard about Space Wolf? South Florida's hottest new startup that gives you and anyone you know a way to make extra cash by wearing a branded t-shirt, wrapping it out in your car, or even texting your friends about a local business. Over thousands of South Floridians have already been paid. See how much you can make at SpaceWolf.com. That's SpaceWolf, S-P-A-C-E-W-O-L-F-F. That's two Fs, SpaceWolf.com. And now, on with today's show. Welcome into another edition of the Five Reasons Podcast. My name is Chris Whittingham, joined as always by Ethan Skolnick. And Ethan, when we were doing radio together, I remember because we had the Monday to Friday show, we didn't need to do this that often, but I think it was after Heat Hornets Game 6. It was during the 2016 playoffs where Dwayne Wade, you know, made a shot and there was purple shirt guy and there was so much to talk about and there was going to be a game seven on the Sunday that we needed to get a podcast out immediately about what had happened. So we did an emergency pod and we were doing kind of the same thing today with the Hassan Whiteside story that came out over the weekend uh, before we kind of do our typical deep dives into these subjects. When you first saw Barry Jackson or whoever it is that, that is covering the heat that you saw that tweeted out the quote from Hassan, how surprised were you surprised because it's from the heat organization where we just never see this kind of stuff and we're going to touch on that a little here in the pod not entirely surprised that it came from Hassan particularly if you look at how many times Barry Jackson alone has written the Hassan Whiteside minutes story this year you know that to me having been in that locker room for so many years and having been around Hassan so much you know when something is boiling over with Hassan when he wants to say something. And if you just read some of those stories that Barry did with Hassan previously, you could tell that Hassan was holding back how frustrated he was. He was kind of getting the message out without being so explicit. And then after this game, which was a frustrating game for the entire team, I mean, considering you had a chance to win in regulation, and then they felt that Dwayne got fouled, although the league ruled after the fact with the last two-minute report that he didn't get fouled, but they thought he got fouled in overtime. Everybody's frustrated, and then Hassan doesn't play for the entire fourth quarter or the overtime. So an issue that has been brought up many times this season, he's not playing in fourth quarters. I mean, he didn't even play in the OT. So, I mean, and it wasn't even like Adebayo or Olenek were out there, Chris, although Olenek was out there for some of it. They had James Johnson playing center for a good portion of the stretch run of that game. So if Hassan was ever going to get frustrated, it was going to be after a situation like that. Right, and I think this is kind of, as you said, been boiling over all season just because, and we've talked about it a bunch, and, and I think the Heat are aware of this, and Eric Spolstra is aware of this. The having of three bigs when you really weren't expecting to have more than one, obviously the Olympic signing would seem to indicate that, okay, you thought he'd be your backup slash complementary center, right? Because I think you could ostensibly play Olenek and Whiteside together. And I think when they have, there are times where the defense suffers, but the offense sort of carries on being fine. It, to me, was the out-of-bio drafting that I'm not sure they expected or you know maybe thought that he would get to where the Heat were drafting or that he would make this instant of an impact. I feel like the out-of-bio drafting has really changed the math of all of this because without Bam, there really isn't any urgency to play a third center or really mix up this big rotation. And maybe you can leave Whiteside out at the end of games, but you can still get him his 32 minutes. So that for me has really changed the math on everything. But this is how we want it to kind of cover. We're going to sort of cover this from five different angles as we typically do on the podcast. So here's where we want to begin. The immediate future. There's only six games left of the regular season for the Miami Heat. Obviously, they have uh, some patsies, although it started with the Brooklyn Nets, and the reason why we're talking about all this is in part because they lost to Brooklyn on Saturday night. But 
we're headed towards a playoffs that theoretically the Heat should be ramping up for right now. And we can talk about whether they should be going for 6-7 or 8 or what they need to do from a results point of view. But the process is supposed to be something that actually Mike D'Antoni gave voice to last night, which is we're going to keep playing our guys because we want to be ready for the playoffs. We built something over these 80 games, and we wanted to continue into the postseason. And so Hassan Whiteside giving these quotes – before you're supposed to be getting ready for the postseason. I don't know if a benching is coming. I don't know if it actually is going to result in his minutes going up, but how do you think they actually handle the immediate future, these next few games, and then in the start of the playoffs when you should be at your most harmonious, at your best, and the Heat are very much not at the moment? Well, we saw the first way they handled it, Chris, which is that they levy the fine, and they let the reporters know about the fine, which I can tell you from covering the Heat for about two decades is not something they always do. There were a lot of fines that go on behind the scenes that we never find out about. So the fact that the reporters found out about the fine, that the Heat did not hide it from them, makes it very clear to me that the first thing that they wanted to do here was send a message, that this was just not going to be acceptable. And, and what we probably should do here, Chris, before we move forward, is to kind of specify exactly what it is that Hassan said, right? Okay. Because I, I think that plays into this here a little bit in terms of the way that this is perceived by the other players on the team as well as the team itself. Of course, he said that it was bullshit, right, that the Heat don't use him late when other teams go small. He used that curse word three times, I guess, during the course of, of the interview. And and here was a full quote, and again, we're attributing these to the reporters on the scene, Barry Jackson, Ira Winderman, and others. Man, it's annoying. Why are we matching up we got one of the best centers in the league. Why are we matching up? A lot of teams don't have a good center. They're going to use their strength. It's bullshit. It's really bullshit, man. There's a lot of teams that could use a center. Shit, that's bullshit. So that's the entirety <laughs> of the of, that's the of money quote. In, like, two sentences. Quite a few of them. Uh, and, and I don't know that that's what he got fined for. I, I think it's just the, the general sentiment of speaking out here. So the first thing that, that happened here was the fine. No suspension. So they didn't go that far with it. But they wanted to make it clear that this was not going to be acceptable from Hassan. The other thing that happened here, if you watch some of the, the tweets come in that night, is that the Heat cut his interview off also, which is something I can tell you from, again, having been around Hassan quite a bit when he's done interviews, is that Heat officials typically stand around players they're most concerned about. Right, Chris? I mean, you've yes. been in that. You, you've been in, the in that locker Hassan Whiteside towards the beginning was an adventure. Right. It was. And they wanted to absolutely make sure that he did not say the wrong thing. And if he did, that they cut it off immediately. They used to do this with Michael Beasley. There are very select guys on that roster, whereas with the big three era, they would be around LeBron just because they knew that anything he would say would would get attention. But if you look at that locker room that the big three era had with guys like James Jones and Shane Battier and Ray Allen and Chris Bosh, there wasn't a whole lot of concern about somebody just popping off and saying something that was going to be perceived as against, you know, detrimental to the team in some way. So they're already on high alert with Hassan and they cut this thing off. And then after the fact, they make a point to find him and to let it be known that they find him to send a message. So that's the first thing. Beyond that, I don't know that there's going to be any specific punishment that's levied here in terms of, say, cutting his minutes further or something like that. The way that I viewed the end of the season for Hassan was getting him in the best possible condition to go into the playoffs. Now, whether that meant Eric sort of ramping up his minutes slowly so he was 
he didn't sort of you know restrain something, which is something that you're concerned about when a guy's come back from injury, particularly with Hassan's history of re-injuring things. Um, we've seen that happen with him over the last three years. So to be careful with him. So I thought that Chris that they would ramp up his minutes slowly into the postseason to get him ready. And with this in mind as well, as much as we talk about D'Antoni saying he wants his team to play sort of at the level that they played all year, I mean the reality is. The Heat are going to clinch a playoff spot, so you're not competing to get into the playoffs right now. And we're not even quite sure that getting higher in the standings is a good thing, right? Like, yes, you're tr- you're tr- kind of trying to find Boston, right, as the as the opponent in the first round, and you don't really know right now where Boston's going to finish. Because- and and all three teams at the bottom of the conference seem to be doing the same thing because all three teams lost over the weekend. Milwaukee and Washington lost yesterday, and the Heat. Uh, lost on Saturday night, and both the Heat and the Wizards lose to teams in that kind of bottom eight teams that are all going to finish with close to 60 losses. So it does seem like everyone is trying to find Boston. Right, so they're trying to find Boston, and we don't know where Boston's going to land because we thought it was going to be the two, but now the way that they're playing, they're playing well even without what three three guys in their rotation, including Kyrie, then you know they still have a shot at getting the one seed in the East, so you might be best off finishing eighth, possibly, not even you know getting up to six to avoid them, or Getting you know staying in seven to to avoid Cleveland and to get them. So I think that that's one thing you got to take into consideration here, Chris. Is that I don't think this was ever the the end part of the season supposed to be about showing your best face going down the stretch. It was about if in Hassan's case getting him as healthy and conditioned as possible for the playoffs because there are certain matchups in the playoffs where he's going to be really useful. And I just I just know from knowing people in that organization how frustrated they must be with him right now because I think you know the whole thing is they know they need him, Chris. They, I mean, mm-hmm. they, to do anything significant in this particular postseason, we can talk about the future, but in this particular postseason, they need him to be effective in the minutes that he plays. And for him to pop off now after all of this time when, again, they're trying to nurse him into the postseason and on a night also, Chris, where he asked out after four minutes because he was gassed. So that just emphasizes the point that, you know, you're, you're trying to get him in the best possible condition. And, and really at this stage, he can air his frustrations after the season. And I think some of them may be justified. But to do it right now, I don't think made a lot of sense. I will say this, though, in his defense, I do think because there was a lot written about a conversation at the All-Star break between Hassan Whiteside and Eric Spolstra in which Hassan Whiteside detailed to Spolstra that he is frustrated with how often he gets the quick hook every time he makes a mistake. That every time he makes a mistake, he feels like Spolstra takes him out and that generally he's impatient with him. And you wonder if in the context of that meeting or in the context of conversations that they've had in private that Hassan Whiteside has voice of frustration, I want to play at the end of games, you pay me like a max player, I want to be your max player and yet when the game is being decided I'm sitting on the bench and as much as anyone can be asked to be a good teammate in that situation you have to feel like he has become fed up with the fact that he thinks he's one of the Heat's five best players if not the best player on the team and yet he doesn't play when the game is being decided and so I guess my question would be would anybody I mean everybody else would feel that kind of frustration I feel like everyone except for the five people who play at the end of the games are frustrated by the fact that they don't play at the end of the games and particularly magnified by the fact that he's a max player so the next question that we'll tackle from a basketball point of view is are the Heat right to continue to not play us on white side at the end of games because of the fact he can be picked on from a matchup point of view do you feel like the Heat should be exerting their strength 
having somebody like Whiteside who is a dominant center, who can block shots, who prevents people from getting into the paint, whether mentally or physically, or do you think that the Heat should be trying to avoid their weaknesses, which is that he could be picked on on the defensive end, can sometimes clog up spacing in the offensive end, and some numbers suggest that the Heat are often better with him on the bench? This is a complete cop out, Chris, but I think it depends on his attitude that night. I, I, I really do. I you know I understand the argument for for playing him and playing to your strength. I, I totally get that. And look, Brooklyn, if you look at the numbers, they've been awful against bigs this year, right? And so you just look at that and you say they don't have great stretch players either. So isn't this a situation where you could play Hassan down the stretch and get away with it? And and I get that. And, and I also get the fact that if you look at Hassan's per thirty six minute numbers this year, just again in his defense. All of his numbers are up across the board per 36 minutes. If you just go on the, this sort of per minute basis, it's the highest points per 36 minutes he's ever averaged at 19.9. It's the highest rebounds at 16.3 per 36 minutes. He's shooting you know, 55% from the field, which is down a little bit from where he's been in recent years, but not significantly. And the other thing is he's shooting 70% from the line. So one of the arguments that could be made about Hassan, that you have to get him off the floor because he can't shoot free throws, to Hassan's credit, he has improved that dramatically. I mean, you go back to his first season that he played with the Heat where he played 48 games and he shot 50% from the line. So he, he's gone from 50% to 70% in three years. So so give him tremendous credit for that. And his block numbers, uh, if you look at per 36, they're not where they were his first uh, couple seasons in Miami, but they're right where they were last year. So Look, I understand all of these arguments for him, but so much of it depends on whether he's engaged. I mean, I, and that's to me, that's what Eric's reading in those situations, because if he's having a night where he's just not into it, where he's taking plays off, where he's not getting out to guard the perimeter when he needs to get out to guard the perimeter, when he's moping some, then I, I think Eric starts to look for other answers. And like you mentioned earlier, they have other answers this year. And that's not something they look. He wasn't going to play. Reed down the stretch a lot last year, right? Like Willie Reed had a good year for Miami, but he wasn't going to play him. But he will play Olenek down the stretch. And the other thing about it is, and I think we're looking at this just in the framework of Hassan, look at it in the framework of what Kelly Olenek's done in the fourth quarter this year. Like he's been outstanding, right? And, and I know we can question him, you know, defensively at times, but in terms of his fourth quarter scoring, he's been a consistent outlet for them in the fourth. He's given them something in terms of their spacing. So look, there are going to be extreme examples where he puts James Johnson at the five, but it's hard to make an argument in certain games against playing Kelly Olynyk at the five spot, unless you just have sort of a, a free for all in terms of guys getting into the lane and getting to the basket against the heat. In those situations, I get it. You play Hassan but opposite of that it's hard to make an argument against what Olenek has done this year right yeah to me you have to ask yourself two questions number one who has been the best big on the team this year I think it's enough of a wash that that says something about kind of where they are mm -hmm. right like you can make an argument again looking at those per 36 numbers you can make an argument for Hassan still and you can make an argument in terms of you know you have some numbers that, that you brought up in terms of uh, that we were talking about off air about rim deterrence and and what he's done there and that guys are just not even challenging him anymore right like that's mm -hmm. been one of the big trends this year he's only faced 288 shots 
within six feet of the rim in 49 games. When you compare that to someone like Yusuf Nurkic of the Portland Trailblazers, who's faced 488 shots from within six feet over a larger amount of games, but teams aren't even going in on Whiteside. And when they do, they find that their field goal percentage drops about eight points. So you cannot argue that from a rim protection point of view, the game doesn't change when Whiteside's in the game. I guess the question is, do you view Kelly Olynyk to be a more complete player? And defensively, I'd say he's been better than you could expect and offensively he totally opens up the game and you can tell because in fourth quarters when Kelly Olenek is on the floor the Heat's offensive rating is 112 and that's incredible that's top of the league good and you know defensively they they drop off but offensively I can understand why Eric Spolster would opt for flow and when you look at a team that has at times this year and it's been different lately particularly and I don't know if it's coincidental or not but uh, their offensive rating has shot up since Dwayne's come back but if you looked at them earlier in the year I mean you and I did a podcast about what's wrong with the Heat offense right so I think and we talked about it on that pod where uh, and you can download that one in our library if you'd like it's still there <laughs> uh, but we, t- we talked about it on that pod that Eric was looking for answers right like what was going to be his best offensive lineup and he does study these numbers um, you know these he He's not a slave to them like some coaches, but he does study them. He gets reports on them. And clearly those numbers have shown, especially as the season has progressed, that the one X factor to improving their offense is putting Kelly Olenek on the floor. And that's been particularly true in fourth quarter situations. And so when you look at it that way, you could say, all right, well, you could play the two of those guys together. And they've done a little bit of that. But then you create other issues, Chris, because they already have too many bodies at the other positions. Like I, I put this on Twitter the other night, like, okay, you know, for instance, in the last five minutes of a tight game, that Dragic is going to be on the floor regardless of circumstance, right? You know that Eric is going to put Wade on the floor regardless of circumstance. And Dwayne's probably going to take most of the big shots, as happened again the other night. And you know for his two-way play, even though he's been a little less consistent offensively over the past month, that Josh Richardson is going to be on the floor. So you already have those three guys. And then Eric has to make a choice between do you play one big with Whiteside, do you play one big with Olenek? Do you play them together? Okay, well, if you're going to play them together, then James Johnson is an additional ball handler, and he's been effective, more effective lately in that capacity, not on the floor. Then you don't have Winslow, and what he gives you defensively, okay, and in terms of, again, being another ball handler on the floor, so you're taking those guys off. And you also don't have Ellington on the floor anywhere. So if it's a night where Wayne is hot, you don't have sort of your designated floor space or three-point shooter who creates additional space for Dwayne in particular to operate. So these are all things that, that you've got to take into consideration. And beyond that, Chris, bringing Wade back, although we talk about the connection between Wade and Whiteside, and clearly Dwayne is the only guy on this team that really knows how to feed a big, right? Like that's, I mean, that we found. I mean, Dragic can do it at times, but the other guys really struggle with it. But the problem with, with having Wade back for Whiteside and I know you believe in this, is that then, you again, you have two non-spacers on the floor, right? Because Dwayne's, Dwayne is not really a spacer. So with Olenek, you kind of, that frees Dwayne up a little bit more because it provides another spacer and gives Dwayne more room to drive and to operate closer to the lane. So these are all things Eric needs to take into consideration. And that, again, is why I, I think that there was just a lot of eye rolling in the organization after that. And, and here's the other factor on this, one quick thing. 
there's a question of some inside the organization on whether Hassan plays through things, right? And this has been an issue here, and I'm talking about injuries and, and pain. And this is this was an issue when I was covering the team in 15-16. If you remember during the playoffs where Hassan missed that time, you know, in the Toronto series, you know, this is one of those whispers that's around there that Hassan doesn't always play through everything. And so, again, you have Hassan coming back from an injury and trying to nurse him back to health where he's not going to re-injure something or say he can't play again. And so they're trying to do that, they think, for the, his benefit as well as the team's. And so to say something at this point, it just it flies in the face of all of that. For sure. And I think when you look at the idea of playing Whiteside and Olenek together, they've played only in 20 games together this season, 183 minutes, which isn't a giant sample, but they've been outscored. And here's the thing. I mean, we can talk about it from an offensive point of view and having two seven-footers on the floor. It's really from a defensive point of view because there aren't too many teams that are playing two bigs, and it's just really hard to put either Kelly Olynyk or Hassan Whiteside on a perimeter-based player. Kelly Olynyk, from a speed point of view, Hassan Whiteside is so you know is a rim protector, and he's going to be around the rim, and he, he's going to leave somebody open. So you put him in pick and roll, you have him run around sets. It's just really hard defensively to keep those two on the floor. And then you get into the digging deeper on the numbers. Hassan Whiteside has only played in about a third. He's actually only played in exactly a third of the Heat's fourth quarters this year, 29 of the 77 games, period. Much less not even playing in the final six minutes, period. And so I guess we can now dig into the culture aspects of this. I think that's kind of where everyone was sort of clutching their pearls yesterday is how could a Heat player criticize his role in the press and, and offend the culture. And I think Hassan Whiteside, if one was to kind of make an argument against the culture, makes for a pretty terrible martyr because it's not like he's doing this from a point of view other than I want to play, I'm a max player. It's not like he really thinks about this from that much deeper of an angle. So to me, the question is, is this sort of an affront to the culture, which would seem obvious, but secondarily, is it okay that someone goes out in the press and says, you know what? I think I'm really good. And you would imagine he's, he's tried to do this in private and it's not working. If a player is that frustrated and he feels like he's this valuable, what is his recourse other than to try and do something in public to try and change his situation? I don't have a problem with guys speaking their minds generally. And again, I don't like this idea that they have to sanitize everything. And at the same time as we're asking them questions in the media, and yet we don't want to get real answers. Okay, so I, I understand that argument. To me, it just comes down to the, the timing of it. That's all I'm getting at is that there is a purpose to what they're doing right now. There's there's extenuating circumstances because he's coming back from injury and they're towards the end of the season where they're looking at what their matchups might be in the postseason. I don't have a problem with the guy saying they want more playing time, but I can tell you how unusual this is. It is incredibly unusual. I was around so many Heat teams over the past 20 years and the biggest stars in the world would only speak off the record about this stuff. Okay? <laughs> like, this show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What's the first thing you'd do if you had an extra hour in your day? Go for a run, take a nap, maybe check the stats of the latest Miami Heat game? I've got a better idea. A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. The question is, time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. I've benefited from therapy. I went through some life changes, major life events, had some difficulties, 
Wasn't a believer in therapy, but it helped me and it can help you also. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. So learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Miami Heat today to get 10% off your first month. Again, that's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Miami Heat. I have conversations with Dwayne about coaching decisions and other things. Yes. Did he give voice to them publicly? Very rarely. Very, very rarely. Okay. And I even remember a situation where I was in Indiana. I don't know which of the three playoff series it was. Okay. But it was one of the ones in which they were struggling. And I remember asking Dwayne a question which sort of put him in a position of having, I knew he was frustrated with something that Spolster did. And I put him in a kind of a position to challenge it a little bit. And Dwayne, after the presser was, Dwayne kind of brushed it off. And after the presser was done, he asked me, why did you do that? Uh, so, <laughs> so, and, and I had a similar circumstance with LeBron. During the, the 2014 finals, uh, as that was becoming a debacle, I think they were down 2-1. And LeBron was at the podium. And I knew that players were frustrated. They weren't going to win that series anyway. But they were frustrated with the defensive plan in that series because they were getting carved up as soon as soon as pop put Boris Diaw in the game and Diaw was an additional ball handler on that team the heat just had no answers with their blitzing defense they could not defend it and they were too far down the road in terms of the way that they played defense with that team to make dramatic changes during the finals and so I asked LeBron at a group press conference at the podium I said is there something you need to change in terms of the, your approach to them or do you just need to do it harder and I didn't realize when I said it, Chris, but do it harder is kind of a spo phrase, right? So, <laughs> so, so, so he, I, he thought you were a plant? Well, he thought I was putting him in a position to criticize Eric directly, which I, mm-hmm. I was just trying to get a little bit more clarity on because I had talked to Eric about it too. So it wasn't like I was trying to create a controversy, but I was trying to get some sense of what it was that they were trying to accomplish and maybe, you know, how smart LeBron is about the game. So I thought maybe there was some way he could explain it a little bit. And LeBron's response to me, he, he got snippy with me very few times over the f- five years or whatever, including the year in Cleveland I covered him. But he, he got snippy with me, and he, he basically – I forgot the exact wording he used, but it was something to the effect of what are you trying to get me to say, you know, something along those lines. And then he went on to give this long answer about how Boris Diaw was cutting them up, which basically – confirmed that he wanted the defensive strategy <laughs> changed. He just, he, just, he just didn't want to say it. And it right. all came out after the fact that players were whispering about this. But that's the point, right? The point is they didn't want to say it out loud. Correct. Why is there virtue in not wanting to say it out loud? I think, again, it's just the way that this team operates that you just don't create public controversies. I mean, that look, this has all come out after the fact, too, but that last year we knew covering the team, or at least I knew, how unhappy Ray Allen was about everything. Okay. Now, okay. I mean, he was unhappy. I mean, he, they were unhappy when they were in, in Los Angeles and Riley was on the trip and players wanted to go to Vegas, but because Pat was on the trip, they didn't go to Vegas and they were muttering about it in the locker room, a group of them in the corner. I mean, and then Ray that last year, I mean, was unhappy about how many appearances, which by the way, is part of their contracts. Okay. How many appearances that they had to make and other things along those lines. Like he just was not happy and he made it clear mostly to LeBron 
And then the way that it would work was LeBron would be the guy that would have to go to Spolster or somebody else, Fisdale, actually, a lot of the time, and express whatever the the concerns were, okay? But this was going on all during that season, and we never, I, I never really wrote it because they never said it, never gave voice to it. And then we see after the fact now, Ray's selling a book, and in some of the interviews that he's done, you know, he has referred to the Heat practiced too much that year, which again, I, I don't remember that because I remember them hardly ever practicing, but that they had too many shoot-arounds, they pushed too hard. So, look, this stuff has happened behind the scenes. And you, again, you're talking about Dwayne Wade, Ray Allen, and LeBron James. These are three Hall of Famers, right? Ray is a newly minted Hall of Famer. And they didn't come out and criticize the coach or Pat with, Riley. With, right, exactly. With the most organizational credibility that one could possibly have. And none of them would go out and do it. And then there were other players, you know, some of the role guys who are most popular with heat have been most popular with heat fans over the years have been very frustrated with their roles they've been they've talked to reporters on background you know expressing frustration it happened during the big 3 era quite a bit with some of those role guys that they didn't really know what their roles were and it was during the 27 game winning streak which is when the team obviously really was at its peak i never thought it was coincidental that that 27 game winning streak happened when spolstra settled on a very clear rotation when he had Haslam in the starting lineup with Chalmers in the big three, and then you knew every game that it was going to be, what, Battier, Allen, Cole, and Anderson coming off the bench in some order, and then Mike Miller was kind of the plug-in guy whenever Dwayne sat. That was the rotation during the 27-game winning streak. I heard far fewer complaints during that period of time. Here, so here's my, here's my thing, right? There's so many players around the league that complain on background, that don't feel like they get enough minutes, that this and then that, and they never say anything about it. And so... Maybe they're saying it in private, but I like the idea that someone is willing to step up and put their face in it because here's the situation, right? Hassan Whiteside feels like he should be playing more. Eric Spolster's made a conscious decision to not play him, right? It's not like he forgot that Hassan Whiteside is on the bench. He knows what he's doing in not playing him at the end of games. The media has noticed this. The media has written about it. And so we're all just doing this dance where we pretend like it, the Heat are going to pretend like this isn't happening, like this doesn't exist. No, well, let, let's confront, let's have a conversation about it. And as much as maybe they don't like a controversy or they don't like sort of being an organization where things are leaking, what's the drawback other than having to publicly acknowledge something that has been privately acknowledged? I don't know what the big drawback is, honestly, and I, I've always sort of had this question about why organizations are so fearful of this kind of just quote-unquote distraction. I mean, the only things that I can look at right now are this. I don't know what the locker room is like right now between Whiteside and Olenek and Bam, for instance, because again, if somebody's not playing, it's because somebody else Correct. is playing, right? So when, so when Hassan makes a point that I'm not playing down the stretch of games, like I, we said earlier, a big reason he's not playing down the stretch of games is because the Heat has an alternative that they trust down the stretch of games right now, and that's Olenek. So I don't know if that affects that relationship, and I don't know, again, if that matters, right? Because they're not playing, as you mentioned, they're not playing together all that much anyway. So again, I don't know if that's an issue, and, and again, I haven't been around the team this year, but from everything that, that I can garner from, you know, is that Kelly Olenek's a pretty laid-back guy. So I, I don't think that this is going to create some kind of huge controversy in there. As far as BAM goes, here's the thing there. I mean, the Heat did a ton of research on BAM. I, mean, I, I was there draft night and was talking to somebody about how much research and how much they loved his makeup. And look, in a lot of ways, 
a lot of the things that they want to see from Hassan are things that they know they're going to get from Bam, right? Like there's no question about Bam's motor, for instance. Like that is – he may make mistakes, but he's not making mistakes because he's not engaged. Like he's, he's a clearly engaged player who wants to be – who seems to have a desire to be great, okay? And, and they when they did all of their research on him – all of it was positive from what I heard. Like, they couldn't get anybody to say anything negative about him. So I can understand how, how Hassan would view Bam as a threat in that way. But I don't know that they went into the, they went into the draft thinking they could take Bam, but they didn't know they were going to take Bam. And the reality is if Donovan Mitchell had dropped one more spot, they would have taken Donovan Mitchell, right? Even though they had just signed Dion Waiters to, what, it was a four-year, 52 or whatever million-dollar contract. So I don't know that they went in with a plan to push Hassan aside this offseason necessarily. I just think it sort of fell that way. I mean, even the Olenek signing, Chris, if you look at that, it's not like they targeted Kelly Olenek from the very first minute. They targeted Gordon Hayward, right? And the reason that Kelly Olenek was available was because Boston needed to clear space to sign Gordon Hayward. I mean, that was essentially, you can look at it like Kelly Olenek was the consolation prize for Hayward. Hayward wouldn't have gotten in Whiteside's way. Hayward would have gotten in Josh Richardson's way, possibly. He, he would have gotten in Justice Winslow's way. So I think if Hassan feels like the organization's out to get him, I don't know that that's a provable fact because, A, they maxed him out when other organizations although were interested. They, although even they, though they, they didn't want to I was going to say, they did make it very clear that they didn't want to. They didn't want to, but they did it, right? They, yeah. they could have let him fair, walk, fair. right? I mean, and in doing so, Chris, they also alienated the best player in franchise True. history. That is correct. Okay. <laughs> okay. Because because I, I know from communication during that period of time that I had that you know Dwayne nothing against Hassan but was not thrilled. Okay, that they put him on the back burner to make sure that Hassan was taken care of, and again to have the meeting with Durant. So I mean, if you look at that, they treated Hassan pretty well in that circumstance. I don't think that they planned to push him aside with their draft pick this year. It just kind of fell that way. They didn't plan to push him aside in free agency that way this year. It just kind of fell that way. So I think if he has a persecution complex about any of that, I don't know that that's justified. I just think what's happened is the two guys they brought in as bigs are guys they like a lot Mm -hmm. for different reasons. Kelly for now and Bam for the future. And so I can understand Hassan being frustrated by that, but but I, I don't think there was some concerted effort to push him out. Hi, I'm the English guy, and I want to tell you about the Three Yards Per Carry podcast I co-present with my friends, Alf hello, and Chris. Hey. Each week, we get together to deconstruct the Miami Dolphins, gossip, analysis, and insider chat, all inside a fun 45 minutes. And here's a little taste. So guys, a bit of word association for you. The Farino. Goat. Goat. <laughs> Tom Brady. Ugh, pansy. Ryan Tannehill. Dreamy. Vanilla. Baker Mayfield. God. Balls. Michael Bolton. No, no, wait, don't answer that. The Three Yards Per Carry podcast, out every Thursday. Plenty of Miami Dolphins chat, eh, not so much Michael Bolton. All right, so let's move on to the fourth thing, which is it actually kind of dovetails from what you were talking about, which is how did we get here and the evolution of Hassan Whiteside over the years? What for you has kind of been from a mentality standpoint, obviously this can only happen because of Hassan's unique personality. So do you feel like at, at a certain point we were expecting an evolution away from triple doubles with blocks, nobody's doing with blocks, the Snapchat stuff, everything that kind of made Hassan this quirky character that he had never kind of evolved from there. And do you think that he'd expected him to evolve from there? I don't know that they really did expect him to make a total transformation. I, again, they paid him 
because uh, for two reasons. One, they valued what he could give to the team because I, when he's at his best, he makes them different. He makes them not special because I, I, they still have limitations, but he makes them a much more dynamic team in a way that no other guy on the roster can do it again as much as I re- and I always stick up for Dragic and he's a very very good player but he's not changing the equation on an entire playoff series the way that Hassan can if he's engaged okay so that's the first reason the second reason was they viewed him as an asset they didn't want to give up the asset they did I mean look look how far they went to keep the Tyler Johnson asset right like I mean teams are so afraid to let something go for nothing right especially if they built the thing from scratch right, right? like and in both of those cases is you know you had two guys who were enormously good values right they they, they generated 150 million dollars worth of player from nothing correct okay one guy in tyler johnson who they liked in portsmouth they liked before the portsmouth camp and he had a bad portsmouth camp and so he dropped out of the draft and then and then adam simon kind of pounded the table on him and so they they brought him in and that one worked out better than anyone could have imagined at first and then you look at to the point that they cleared out chalmers to make room for him and then you know you look at the white side thing and again you know a guy that nobody around the league really wanted to sign and he he's emerges from the sort of the ashes of the lebron era to be become you know this guy who's giving you triple doubles okay and blocking Noah's shot 10 times okay I mean it's just was an amazing story so they didn't want to give up the asset now did they ever think that he was going to merge into the true face of the franchise I'm not sure of that I think they just hoped that he can make incremental improvements in a number of areas and I mentioned the free throw shooting earlier like that's a big thing like I mean to get up from 50 percent to 70% he's gotten better at that so what were the other areas they wanted him to become a better passer out of the post has that happened marginally right he's averaging if you look at his assist numbers right now he's at 1.4 per 36 minutes his first 3 years he was at 0.2 0.5 and 0.8 so he's made gra- very gradual improvements there they want him to get better as a team defender not just as a shot blocker Um, his shot block numbers are down I do think he's gotten better as a team defender he's just not going to be as good at that probably as Bam just because their body types are a little bit different but look Hassan has guarded guys on the perimeter and had some success over the past three years so he's made incremental improvements I think all of that is fine I think the only thing they were hoping for that hasn't really happened and this is what Pat gave voice to this offseason was they want him to do it every night and they want him to do it like Zoe did it and in that sense in terms of mentality and again I give Hassan enormous credit for for getting to where he is uh from where he was but Hassan's not going to be Zoe in that regard nobody's going to be Zoe in that regard I covered Zoe okay okay Zoe was maniacal and Zoe had some athletic limitations that he covered up for because he was so determined so much of the time, okay? And I look, I covered Home and Road, his 1999-2000 season, where I think he was second in the MVP voting. Uh, I think it was to Carl Malone that year. And Zoe could have won the MVP. And Zoe was, it was incredible, the energy that he would expend over his 38 or whatever it was minutes per game. You're not going to get that from Hassan. So I think what they're trying to do with Hassan now, Chris, is get him to make his 24, 25, 26 minutes as impactful as possible And if those minutes are impactful, then he does get fourth quarter minutes and and gets four to six minutes. I don't think they're trying to punish him. I just think that they've kind of view it this time as this is what he is right now, and this is how we're going to use him. 
And finally, the last thing we want to cover is the future because Hassan Whiteside now has, you know, because part of the quote towards the end was he was uncertain about his future with the team is if this is the giant affront to Heat culture, which I think a lot of people view it to be, then the Heat would probably be looking to get rid of him. Now, the question is, is there someone who'd be willing to take him on? Do you think that he can try and fix the relationship instead? Is this the lowest his trade value could possibly be? And this is the one thing that we've yet to cover, and I feel like is something worth exploring, is does Hassan Whiteside's role in the NBA exist anymore? The Obviously, the rim protection is always going to be something that's valuable, but someone, a center who is a fulcrum of the offense, who plays 33 minutes a game and is the most important piece on an NBA team. I just don't think it exists anymore. And that, for me, is the biggest problem for Hassan Whiteside is that he's not just watching himself become not needed at the end of games. He's watching everyone else like him become not needed in the entirety of the NBA. And that has to be pretty sobering to watch and he's also kind of got to be going wait no one is using a center well I'm a center why don't we just take advantage of the fact that someone else is using a center when really the answer is no one really wants to use centers anymore right except Philadelphia right and but and Embiid is a different kind of center because they they can shoot right it's it's his specific skill set not a you know denigration of the entire position of his kind of center Correct. But I think, again, you see why he gets up for Embiid, because I think he still views him as a traditional center opponent and and that he outplayed Embiid, obviously. I mean, one of Hassan's best games of the year was that game against Philadelphia. And so, you know, I think he views it that centers are still necessary in the NBA. I mean, this is a conversation we've had for a long time. I did a story in 2006 talking to Shaq and Zoe about how they were the last of the dinosaurs. But again, look at how Heat teams have been built in the past. And the reality is, the major reason that Hassan has a $98 million contract is because Pat Riley does believe that the center still matters, right? Like there are a lot of teams around that. Portland and Dallas were two of the teams at the time who believed it too. But Riley still believes in that. Now, maybe not to the extent that he did, but I think this gets into a little bit of the disconnect in between Pat and Eric on this. And again, I'm just speaking from afar on this, but I'm speaking a little bit to the teams that I covered and kind of how Eric, this roster evolved with Eric over time. It was Eric again that went to small ball, right? Like that was an Eric thing. And even if you look at 2003, 2004, which the Heat fans like to talk about, that team was a small ball team that Stan Van Gundy coached down here. Pat has always believed more in the bigs. And whether Eric went to small ball because, again, he didn't have a center that he could play early in the big three era, and then we know what happened with Bosch getting hurt and then putting Bosch in at the five with Batty at the four when he came back. But the reality is this is, for the Heat and the league as a whole, as you mentioned, this has already gone too far in that direction where it's going to be hard to pull it back in any way. But Hassan got that contract in large part because Pat still believes in centers. If he didn't, he wouldn't have gotten that money. Pat would have just let him walk, even though, like I said, they had sunk a lot of effort into sort of improving that asset. They would have just let him walk. But I don't look as far as a a trade going forward. You know, that's the issue that the Heat would be dealing with in that regard is how many other teams at this stage now we're two. We would be two full seasons down the line from when when Hassan signed that contract. How many teams around the league feel as Pat always has that a center matters, and there just may not be that many teams, and and not just a center, a center at twenty five million dollars. You know that's that plays into it too. Is is who's going to be interested, and in what are the Heat trying to accomplish? Because if what you're trying to accomplish, you have a Linux under contract, you have Bam under contract at a ridiculously cheap rate. If what you're trying to accomplish is just to clear cap space then you may be able to find a team to take 
that on. But as we've talked about, one of the issues here, too, is that the cap is flattening out, and there aren't that many teams that are going to necessarily be looking for cap space with what's coming up here in the next couple of years. So that's going to be a little bit challenging. And the Heat also, as we know, don't have a big you know, bevy of draft picks to sweeten a deal either. So the question is, if the Heat are, and I don't think they should be desperate to get rid of Whiteside, because like I said, when he's engaged, he's still a very, very effective player and he makes them different. But are the Heat going to be in a position where they want to have to sweeten with a Richardson or a Winslow or something like that to be able to move us on? I don't think that this one situation is going to put them in that position. I, I think it's going to be based on what deal Pat thinks he can make that can reshape the roster, and I think he'll do it solely based on that. I don't think it's going to be because Hassan popped off one time, even though, again, I think it was ill-timed. I don't, I don't think it's because he popped off one time you know, with six games left in the regular season. If what you're saying earlier is that the Heat do not ever want to deal with this, then I would imagine if the trade deadline was tomorrow, Whiteside would already have been traded. Because I feel like this is exactly the kind of point re- no return kind of thing that would lead to the Heat making a rash move like that. But they can't. So for me, it's sort of figuring out in the near term, how do they handle him going forward in the playoffs? And then sort of assessing the trade value. But man, you look at 2019-20, a player option for $27.1 million. I'm not sure how easy that is going to be to move. And I think, like you said, it's going to take the stapling of a contract in order to do it. So for me, I think that this is probably, I would say it's probably the end of the, of the, of the Hassan Whiteside era in Miami. He might go through the playoffs, but I would be stunned if he was still on the team at the start of next year. Do you agree with that? Well, I'll take it this way. I wouldn't be stunned, but I will. I wouldn't be stunned. I think there's. I would put it at about thirty percent that he's back next mm-hmm. year. But I would say this: there's two different ways to look at this. I've seen Pat Riley go both ways on this. I remember Todd Day, who was a great player at Arkansas, was on a heat in heat training camp one year and was with the team. And Day popped off at a practice and he was gone the next day, from what I remember. So yes, I, I think that 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 has happened in the past and could. But this is also an organization that brought Michael Beasley back two more times after they'd <laughs> been. Fed up with him the first time around and were clearly fed up and didn't want to deal with his shenanigans anymore. And there was more with Beasley that went on behind the scenes than ever got reported during any of his tenures. So they brought him back two more times. So I know different circumstances, but Pat's going to make, ultimately, he's going to make a basketball decision here. I just wonder how much Eric's going to be in his ear on it and saying, look, I don't want to coach this guy anymore or get me different players. I don't know where he is in terms of the fed up threshold at this stage with Hassan. But clearly, if they find Hassan, they're not happy about it. But I would put it at about 30 percent that he's back next year. All right. So that'll do it for this edition of the Emergency Podcast. We'll be back later this week with NBA Talk with Vinny Goodwill, who covers the Chicago Bulls for NBC Sports Chicago. Lots of great stuff still to come, so you should subscribe on iTunes or on Google Play if you're on Android. Thanks for listening. That'll do it for this episode. 